Only thing I remember was a bullshit summer So I stopped at the second floor Ran across cracks and fall in my pockets It's mean, clean when I vanished off Took off, made track look easy to walk These jockeys and DTs had Black they was rated PG Run, I will not give up, no Quick flag the car down Take me to those here they come now Kill off quick, back up Hit the bitch dog Turn downhill like the Molly Spliff Run, I will not get bagged on a rock Run, see what happened to Un They bad with they cops Run, they am shit, plan shit Destroy evidence, fucking case I'm not coming home when I'm 56 Die with the heart of Scarface And take 50 licks Before I let these crackers throw me in shit Bounce if you a good kid Bounce through the bird hop curse Word and conserve These cocksuckers got nerve Heard I was killing shit They must got word That I told the chief from Rich Paul I don't wanna merge Run, if you sell drugs in the school zone Run, if you getting chased with no shoes on Run, fuck that, run Cops got guns, they giving out life like monitors Run, if you ain't do shit, you ain't that Run, run. Fun fact about me, I once considered running for office. I know, shocking. Considering my love for politics and strategy, like it's really just a shocking admission by myself. But I think you've heard me mention this on this podcast before, just in passing though. But I've never really given the background of what really happened until now. Several years ago, a state house seat opened up, and as an ambitious, politically engaged young man, I looked hard and fast at that seat. Now, by the time I had garnered enough, by that time I had garnered enough like political friends and capital to consider making a strong run. And by that, I mean um, I haven't pissed off half of a political Orlando elite. Um, and that's another story for another time, but trust me, that has happened. But I digress. So with my friends and colleagues in hand, I made a list of potential early campaign contributors. Now, the list was long and extensive, but I wanted to get people to buy in early and to figure out, you know, I just want to figure out what my fundraising will in fact look like. Now, you do that for a number of reasons. One, to kind of figure out your fundraising, but also to kind of, you know, do and make a big splash when you announce. So you want to make everybody know, like, I'm really coming for real. So my goal was to have a pledge list of at least $35,000, and I ended up with $57,000 in pledges. Now, I'm not naive to think that everyone on that list would contribute, but I felt confident enough that at least $40,000 would come out of that list, and I could probably get it to up to $100,000 with some more pushing once people realize this is serious. So I was honestly up to a great start, right? Now, the next step was to meet with some Democratic Party heads at the state level to let them know that I was pretty confident um, that I was going to win. And I was pretty confident also about them signing off on me running for that seat because I had a little secret. And you, the little secret was they approached me a year earlier about a, but like really secretly and quietly. It wasn't a big announcement, but they approached me a year earlier to run against a local Democratic Party incumbent. That's big news, right? Now, I'm not going to get into the name of who that position was or what that position was, but I will say it's a constitutional officer in Orange County, and they are still in office. That's all I'm going to say about that. But at any rate, that's a big trump card, no pun included. But I just knew that surely 
the people who had promised me all these things and had said, Kamara, Kamara, please decide. We want you to run for a blah, 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 blah seat and, you know, run against this person, you know, and we're going to give you all these things. They were kind of like in that Bible, you know, how like they show Jesus, the, the, uh, Satan shows Jesus like all the treasures. Like they were showing me everything I was going to get if I decided to just throw my hat in and they were going to back me. And I knew all this. And I said, these same people who were the party heads, and I'm not talking about like local, I'm talking about state level, and some even had some uh, federal national ties, right? They were like, trust me, the money's going to be there if you decide to run against this person, because we don't like them. I thought about it. I said, mm, that's not how I want to make my bones. I don't want to run against somebody that's already in seat, and I'm going to piss off some people, you know, because they have relationships. But I, I told you the idea, but I knew all this. So anyway, I knew these people exactly. I knew that like, hey, listen, if they're so confident about me running against someone that's in a seat, an incumbent, I just knew. I just knew they were going to be so much behind me in running for an open seat. Because you know what? Why, would, why wouldn't they? I'm like a great candidate. You know, I fit a lot of the profile. But anyway, so. We get to this place, and it's actually the Orlando Airport, and we're having dinner at a restaurant, all right? And by the way, I wasn't ignorant, right? I knew there was politics behind the politics, and you can sure you can run for office, but you better run with the Democratic Party wind in your back, just so I, you know you guys know what my thinking was. Anyway, so we're at this meeting, and again, I have this vision of these undisclosed resources that they had promised me a year ago. And we're at this meeting at this restaurant at Orlando Airport, and it's dinner time, and we're chit-chatting. And special shout-out, I can't name this, special shout-out to my boy, Roosevelt Holmes, for putting the people at the table. He's actually, Roosevelt's now working in D.C., um, and he's doing major things, so shout-out to him. But anyways, after some light chit-chat and just going over advertisers and all this other stuff, I presented them with my detailed plan on how I was going to win that seat, outlining my strategy my vision, my messaging, my fundraising goal, and of course my magic number in voter turnout. I had broken it down, you know. And of, of course all this was like really impressive until it wasn't. So they all looked around the table and then they all looked at me and they said, Kamara, while we appreciate your enthusiasm and interest, uh, we already have someone in mind for that seat. And, you know, it's not you. Now, I was so confused because I was like, I feel like I knew everybody, right? And I was like, who the heck is running for a seat? I haven't heard anybody. Of course, I've done my due diligence. You know, I, nobody that I know is running for this seat, hence why I decided to pick this seat. And then they brought up a name I've never heard of, a person that has really no community con uh, connections. But they proceeded to tell me that this person checks off a lot, all the boxes that they were looking for. Again, I'm not going to get into details because I don't want to highlight this person. But they told me, hey, you can still run. And I was like, gee, thanks. Right. But, you know, the machine would be behind this candidate. Now, of course, it's a primary. So we're not going to be able to pick and choose who we want to run for this seat because that would be, you know, it begins rules. But we all understand there's like, you know, choosing somebody. And they're just picking somebody, right? And they had chosen who they wanted. Now, 
I went home, crestfallen, and the news, and talked to my wife, and thought about it for a few days, and I said, you know, the risk of putting my family at financial financial risk over an egotistical idea was stupid, so thus I dashed my intentions of ever running for office again. Sure, I had different opportunities presented, and many opportunities, and things of that nature over the years, but that fateful dinner really did what to provide me with clarity and resolve. You see, the person they chose to run ended up losing, and it further emboldened my belief in the idea of strategy and messaging. But this time, I decided to take my knowledge and I applied it to people who were running for office. And I didn't necessarily, you know, it wasn't necessarily for people who were getting the initial party backing. What I went, because I knew one thing, that the party doesn't always choose the right candidates, but the people do. And the Democratic Party had no idea how to pick a candidate. And I also knew that should the right candidate emerge for whatever seat, I'll be right there to support them and make sure that the powers that be don't put their proverbial thumbs on the elective scale. So what does that have to do with today's episode? Well, of course, we're talking about running for office. And I wanted to bring in someone who's not only running for office, but is doing it in a big way, big way and he's running for Congress. So we're going to talk to him about his campaign, his philosophies, his, you know, his philosophy in running, his governance, all that. It's going to be a free-flowing conversation and why he decided to run. But before we get all to that, welcome to Uncultural Bias. My name is Kamara Williams. I'm your host on our show. We say that culture is a matter of perspective and opinion. After all, culture is another way to say discovery. We are on culture. We are biased. We are black. If you're tuning in for the first time, welcome, welcome, welcome. If you're a returning listener, welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Of course, uh, we'd ask you to leave review both on Apple and Spotify. Spotify is allowing you guys to do um, reviews and it's how they engage, that's how they um judge engagement of the pod, not just people listening and, you know, whether or not you listen throughout the entire episode, but also if you leave a review. So Spotify, leave a review. Apple, of course, ask you to leave a review. Shout out to our sponsors this week at Coleman.law. Reach them at 850-597-2990. If you're looking for someone to help you with your business or tax issues, contact Coleman Law at www.coleman.law. If you're uh, in the market for real estate, Please contact in Central Pleasure in Central Florida, 407-680-8510 at KeystoneGlobalRealEstate.com. Of course, you're in the market for probate, estate planning, um, trust, and we're really pushing a land trust. If you have some properties, um, especially uh, we're talking about investors uh, that have their properties in LLCs, take that out of LLC and put it in a land trust. So contact us at 888-798-4529 or at 888-SWTGLaw.com. Of course, you can reach us at info at SWTGLaw.com. All right, brilliant. So let me go ahead and bring in my guest today. Uh, you with the, you, you still with us? I'm, I'm with you. How you doing, my man? All right, what's up, man? Um, so go ahead and introduce yourself to the uh, listening public. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for having me on. Hello, everybody. My name is uh, Maxwell Alejandro Frost, born and raised right here in Orlando, Florida, uh, South Orlando, um, and just excited to be here. You know, I'm running for Congress. I've been been an advocate and an organizer for over a decade now, which is just wild to think about. You know, for me, I, I got involved because of the Sandy Hook shooting. Um, and just for me, I see it as a privilege and an honor to even be in this race, mm-hmm. being able to talk about the future I believe in, the future I believe we deserve, and uh, just really humbled to be here. Dope, dope. I have a question for you. Did you even know who was on that song? <laughs> the song? <laughs> yeah. No, no, I didn't. Okay. I didn't. I was bumping it, though. I know. So check this out. Yeah. So Max is, is mad young, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so 
<clears throat> I knew you weren't gonna know. I did that on purpose because I was like, yeah, you're not gonna know. Yeah. It's Ghostface Killer. You even heard oh, that? Ghost, yeah. Okay, 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 okay. I worked the festival actually with um in D. And for folks who don't know, I, music is a big part of my life, and I work on music festivals. So the festival I work on called the National Cannabis Festival. Mm-hmm. We had Red Man and Method Man perform. Mm. Um, and they had a street life come out mm-hmm. uh, who's done a lot of stuff with them. And so, um, but the funny thing is I never heard of street life cause he is like, he's like a Wu-Tang affiliated, right. but he's not. And In, so either, right. and so, but when he came on, he did a, he did, they did a Wu-Tang song and he was rapping Ghostface verse. Uh, and, uh, I was like, Oh God, I thought that was Ghostface killer. Right, I was like, right. let's go. So I go backstage because one of my best friends, Sam is a producer and shout out Charlie flow. And he does a lot of great music. And I got a video of Street Life, and I was like, say hi to Charlie Flo. And I sent it to my friend Sam, and I was like, yo, I just got Ghostface Killer <laughs> to say hi to you. And he was like, bro, that's Street Life. That's, that's not, not Ghostface. <laughs> and I was like, damn, man, I'm sorry. I feel stupid right now. So either way, that's a funny thing, because I just I, I know who Ghostface Killer is. I just never seen his face right. until that day, and now right. I'm very familiar with his face. Right, uh, right. But that's, that's just a, a, a funny connection there. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt, man. I know um, – and, you know, we're going to get into your youth and, mm-hmm. and everything like that. Um, so question I have, first time on the pod, what do you think about the opening or what you pull from that opening? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it rings true. And I think, you know, when I first was thinking about office, I was office. I was first asked by organizers that I knew from the uh, Black Lives Matter uprising to run. Mm-hmm. Uh, first thing I told them was, hell no. <laughs> I was like, I'm, not, I'm okay. At the time, I was working at March for Our Lives, which is an organization that fights the end gun violence. And I had a senior position there. So I was, I, I liked the work we were doing. I liked being able to work with, you know, tons of young people across the country. And I didn't really feel like it was for me at that moment. Uh, but in a lot of my conversations, which I spoke with about 200 people in the community and statewide about running for this office. I know it was 200 because I had an Excel document. I'm a mm-hmm. bit of a bit of a nerd. Mm-hmm. Uh, but either way, and uh, there's a lot of folks I spoke with who said, do you have the backing of the party? Mm-hmm. You know, have you spoken with these party leaders and this and that? And, uh, you know, for me, um, I ended up being at a crossroads, but a lot of the statements that pushed me to be in a place where I was hesitant to run were the, were the comments about, have you connected with these specific party leaders or have you connected with this person who isn't a party leader anymore, but they run things behind the scenes. And, right. you know, for me, I, I've worked on campaigns for, you know, about seven years and uh, never really knew about the process of, you know, running as a candidate and hopping in. I always came in when the candidate was already decided and assumed, you know, people made these decisions on their own because they right. felt a conviction and, you know, it wasn't didn't feel good to hear a lot of, you know, about a lot of the red tape associated with it. Obviously, I ended up doing it anyway, but I can just imagine how those conversations stop so many people who are the ones we've been waiting for. Mm. And uh, that's something that, you know, I really want to focus. I actually want to be a party leader and I want to work to get rid of a lot of that red tape. Yeah, um, because I, I just can imagine all the great people that we've missed out on. Right. You know, it's it's, it's weird because. We all, you know, been to the meat market. We all been to the butcher. Well, some we see that's how the meat is laid out, you know, mm-hmm. in front of the display. But, you know, we don't see how the meat is made. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And when you get go behind the scenes and you see the, you know, them chopping up the meat and grinding it and you know throwing away certain things mm-hmm. and you're like, it's like it can be, you know, a little bit hard for the stomach. Yeah. You know and. Yeah it can really kind of make you like I said, I know for me, it was just like, I don't do I, you know, really want to put my family yeah. at risk, financial risk. Cause I am, I know what I'm going to be running against. I'm mm. going to be running against a party 
with unlimited resources to in order to get me out of the race. Yeah. You know, and I had a young family at the time. Still, my family's relatively young, but definitely I'm talking about babies, babies. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, I can't afford to put my babies at risk, yeah. you know, um, because of my own egotistical endeavor. Um, but it's but, not, it's not just egotistical though, but I get what you're saying because in the decision, and I, that's no, no present company excluded. I'm, no, no. And I'm talking yeah. about, I'm talking about you though, because you wanted to serve your community, man. You know what I mean? And because of that red tape, mm-hmm. I think maybe you're putting a place where you're thinking, damn, like, you know, it's my ego or it's like this ego driven decision, which I do admit there has to be some sort of ego there to, think you're the person to run front office. Right. But also you wanted to serve, you know what I mean? And right. that's why I'm like, you know, I'm really big on election reform because what I'm doing now, if I had a family, I wouldn't be doing it either. I wouldn't be able to do it. I had to quit my job to run for office. Yeah. I don't have a lot of money. I Uber at night five nights a week so I can pay my bills. I'm struggling during right. this whole thing. It's been difficult. Yeah. And uh, I think about, man, if I had a kid, if I had someone to take care of, this wouldn't be possible because I'm living paycheck to paycheck. And I think we should have a government that's made up of people who come from working class backgrounds. It shouldn't right. be that hard. It should it should be hard, but it shouldn't be impossible. And for working class families, right. you, I mean, you can't let alone state office because you're going to go there and you're going to make twenty nine thousand dollars a year. You can't feed your family on that. Right. So you have to have another job. And for people who don't have those connections or they don't have the ability to do that, it's difficult. So I think we need to make running for office more accessible and, you know, and, and easier for people, especially people with families. Those are the people we need in office because it's personal for them, the future of this country. Right. So, yeah, but I get what you're saying about ego. But also, man, I mean, you just want to you want to help the community. You know I did. I mean? yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, and so, so but I, what I realized, too, mm-hmm. um, is like I've, I thought to myself, can I help the community that didn't need me, to, my name to be on the ballot? Mm, you yeah. know, and that's yeah. what kind of has 100%. been my. My motivation from that point on is like, all right, I may not be on the ballot, but my ideals are. Yeah. And can I put somebody in place that co-aligns with my with ideals, yeah, yeah. you know, and push them and help them get mm-hmm. to the space, you know, because it takes a special person and mm-hmm. present company included. It takes a special person to kind of put their name on the ballot. And mm-hmm. I, I respect I respect anybody who wants to run for office. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because to kind of put yourself out there, number one, mm-hmm. is an endeavor that most people are never going to do. Yeah. Because you're allowing yourself to be succumb to criticisms, both yeah. founded and unfounded. Yeah. You know, but you're also allowing yourself a certain level of, you know, public display of mm-hmm. your achievements. And it's like to allow yourself to be succumb to like, uh, uh, you know, whether they're going to win or lose and then how people are going to judge you, Yeah, you know, based on if you win or lose. And it's weird, too, because sometimes like we do this thing where somebody lost and then we make an evaluation of their character. Like, oh, see, they were never good for that seat anyway. Yeah. And it's like, no, they just lost. Yeah. Like that doesn't mean there were so many factors. Right. There's so many other factors that yeah. goes into why somebody wins or loses, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes it's not even because the best candidate won. Yeah. It's literally just because, you know, for whatever it could be. You know, they didn't peak at the right time, you know, mm-hmm. and we get into that because I have yeah. a theory on like campaigning mm-hmm. and all that. But, um, you know, it can get into just a number of different things. It could be yeah. messaging. The messaging didn't hit. Yeah. You know, like and we often forget how important messaging is and mm-hmm. strategy like you yeah. didn't do proper strategy. Yeah. You know, and listening to the wrong people, mm-hmm. you know, like we listen to the you, you see candidates. I know like they they listen to the wrong person and yeah. they, just because this person 
worked on this campaign. And I'm like, well, they weren't, you know, not every campaign is the same. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. you can't say driving a pickup truck the same way driving a Ferrari. Yeah. It's both, they're both vehicles, mm-hmm. but they require different ways to start them up, different ways to navigate. Yeah. You know, but sometimes you're like, oh, this person would, you know, won this seat in, you know, yeah. Sarasota, Florida as a consultant. You know, yeah. and so they'd be able to help me in Orange County. I'm exactly. like, that's that's not going to way that works. Yeah, you know. But anyway, I'm doing all the talking. No, 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 no I hundred yeah. percent agree. I mean, you know, I've I've learned a lot just from this from this uh, campaign so far. Yeah, this yeah. journey. Um, but I, you know, I have worked on, on many campaigns, mainly on the organizing side. Mm-hmm. And I was a candidate sitting at the table making decisions about. TV and radio and uh, mail and all this stuff that I didn't know much about, to be honest. And mm-hmm. it seems to me like there are, I think it's important folks have a baseline understanding of these different modes of communication, what they can mean, how they can impact the electorate and how you can get your message across. But then after you get that, you know, you, you do your own thing, right? Like right. you run your campaign the way you want to run it. There's no cookie cutter thing for each campaign. It's the same way with music too. When you think about jazz you know, we always say like, you know, learn everything and then forget it. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Le- learn all your scales, like, you know, practice transcribing John Coltrane, do all this stuff and then let it impact your vocabulary so you can speak more as a musician when you're soloing. Right. Uh, but then give it your own, forget all of it and, you know, give it your own voice and, and do your own thing. And that's the way I like to think about campaign too. like learn everything, learn the fundamentals like you learn soul craft, but also don't let that you know, hold you back. And, mm-hmm. you know, this, in this campaign, I, I'm calling this, this is the year of tough decisions. Cause I've been, you know, mm-hmm. it seems like every day there's a tough decision I have to make and ensuring that I'm keeping rooted in who I am, what I believe in, why I got this in the first place. Sometimes it can be difficult, but you know, I think having the right people in the room makes it easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the way I've, I've gone about it. And I've, I've been seeing it. I love that you did the jazz analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Because jazz, you know, um, in its basic form is a free form yeah. idea. It's like there's no structure. But there is a structure. Yeah. yeah. But there isn't. Yeah. It's like you know? both and you both know? and yeah. right. Both things can be, you know, it, it could be it be true at the same time. And um the best jazz musicians know how to, you know, move within the scales but also break the scales at the same time. Exactly. And, and you gotta learn them first. Got but has to they you have to learn, learn them first. You gotta you know? master it first. Gotta master them, you know like and then you can defy it. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, early so um you know, early Miles Davis, mm-hmm. you know, he, you know, uh, uh, operated within certain scales. Yeah. Right. And then it wasn't until he got into uh, a bitch's brew, mm-hmm. you know, he broke out of that. Yep. You know, exactly. and decided to get into different, you know, different it was like things, the birth yeah. of cool was when he stayed within the scales mm-hmm. and then the bitch's brew is when he decided to break out. Exactly. And then so, um, but he had to know, he had to know them. Yeah. You and know, he mastered them. and he had to master no them. No question. Right. Yeah, and exactly. so. Like with campaigns, I'm fascinated with candidates mm. who are so stuck, and you mm. see it all the time. Yep, and it drives me bananas. Yeah, where they're like, they operate with a linear view of mm-hmm. how to engage with people. Exactly, yeah. and I'm like, that's you know, you guys got to learn to switch it up a little yeah. bit. Jazz, use some. You, you don't, don't just open up the black, you know, the book yeah, in yeah, black yeah, and white. Yeah. Like, kind of yeah, like yeah. give me. You know, give me some gut feeling. What yeah. is your gut feeling telling you? Yeah. You know, and a lot of times candidates are afraid to use their gut feeling, mm, yeah. you know, and so I'm glad you said that. Like, is yeah. was there a moment in this campaign mm-hmm. where you're like, you know what? I know this wasn't by the book, but I'm glad we went, you know, the, the book told me to go right. 
but yeah. we decided to go left multiple times, all the time. Give me, give me a great example. Let me think. I'm trying to think of one. I have one in my mind, but let me see. I would say, I would say, you know, the way that we talk about the issues, you know, just general communication. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the book says try not to be too nuanced. Do you want you want things to be very straightforward, easy to digest? And I agree with that. But I think oftentimes we think it's just a, you know, this or that mm-hmm. versus, you know, something that you're creating that's just brand new or maybe just a different way of thinking about things. So right. when I was presented with, you know, talking about issues, you know, in the traditional way or, you know, going into like some sermon or a dissertation on the issues, I was like, well, why don't we figure out how to do both at the same time? Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to be able to convey to folks that I believe, number one, that all of our issues are connected. That number two, I like to take a step back and view things holistically. And three, that's the way we're going to win, right. right, in general. The opposition wants us to see gun violence and health care and this and that in right. separate lanes because right. that means then the organizing is also separate. Mm-hmm. And that's something I've seen as an organizer. So I was really hesitant to be in a place where we were putting things like that. And, you know, now when we speak, every speech I get, um, every like mailer you see, stuff like that, you'll see us uh, talking about the issues in a little bit of a different way. You know, the, the one I like to talk about all the time is gun violence. There's things we can do to end gun violence as far as regulating guns is concerned, of course, but that's not the only thing. And we know that, right? Right. The fact of the matter is most gun violence are crimes of condition. Mm. And walk, we, walk me through that one. Yeah. And what that means is it's people who've been pushed to the brink mm. and feel like they need to use a gun to solve their problem. Mm. And for me, it's about creating a world where people have less problems to solve and right. therefore there's less violence to be had. Right. So I always connect when we you know, are able to get health care to everybody. Right. People are less likely to use a gun to solve their problem because yeah. they have more money in their pocket. They're healthy. When people have a dignified wage and they're able to feed their families, people are less likely to solve gun to have their, you know, help, um, solve their problems. Mm-hmm. When we assure people are, we destigmatize health care and our mental care in this country, mental health challenges, uh, people are less likely to use a gun to take their life, which is actually the leading cause of gun violence is yeah. suicide. So I see these issues all connected, and I think that's the only way we're going to win, not just like win campaigns, but right. like win the day on the legislative side. I actually agree. It's mm-hmm. all symbiotic of, of- you know, the humanity, the human touch, right? So, like, we often bifurcate these things, like, to your point, saying, oh, well, guns and healthcare and economics, yep. right? You know, it's like we got to improve economics, but we also got to, you know, take our hands off the guns law. Yeah, but exactly. we also got to make sure we don't spend too much money in healthcare. And then exactly. education, you know, is not a big deal. And it's like, no, whoa, all these things are tied in yep. education, health. Exactly. You know, economics, gun safety, they all have a symbiotic relationship within the human exactly. uh, human touch. And But we, once you remove those things, and they do that because, you know, if you can, they say, um, if you can uh, divide and conquer. Yep, exactly. You know, if you can yeah. divide the issues, then you yeah. can conquer the narrative. Yeah. You know, divide the issues, conquer the narrative. Yeah. And then, but Democrats, President Company excluded, <laughs> yeah. Democrats tend to fall for the same thing. Yeah. They fall for this, you know, Republican divide and, yeah. you know, divide and conquer. Yeah, you exactly. Know? Yeah, I mean, and, you know, I and I think this is one, this is one of our largest problems that we have as, as a party and with our politicians and stuff. I mean, we have to talk about it all at the same time. That's why when I go on debates or interviews or anything, the number one question I hate the most 
is what's the first thing you'll do as a member of Congress? Mm-hmm. I get the question and I'll answer. Right? I'm not. I'm not saying no one asked me. I'll answer and I understand. I understand the spirit of the question, but also it plays into the whole thing where they're just trying to get one issue. And what the the way I always lead with that question is: Look, we have many challenges. We have to pull many levers at once. Right. Because the fact of the matter is, you know, we could ban assault weapons tomorrow, which is something I believe in. Uh, but gun violence is still going to be a horrible issue that impacts people on a daily basis. Because and, it's handguns. Yeah, because a lot of it is handguns. Yeah. We, we do need to ban assault weapons. Yes, of course, but we can walk and chew gum at the same time. You know, And that's the thing. That's what the opposition wants us to think. If this one thing happens, the issue will be solved. And you know what happens? Sometimes they let it through and they let the one thing happen. The issue doesn't get solved. You know what they say? They go, I told you so. I told you so. Yeah. I yeah. told you so. Right. And then you never get anything else again. I yeah. have the same problem with healthcare too. And, uh, you know, I'm for Medicare for all, I'm for single payer system. But there's a conversation around public option, which is pretty much allowing people to buy, like, buy into, go into a public option, go into Medicare or Medicaid, but still have the insurance companies the way it is. And the problem with that is all the sick people will go onto the government system. It'll start sucking a right. lot and be horrible. It'll crumble. And then, you know what folks will say? We told you so. Told you so yeah. Government health care is horrible. And so solutions like that I'm very wary of and com- communications like that because I also see this as a long game. And this is the way the Republicans work. This is why they win. It's not, oh, little wins right now. It's how do we re- reverse Roe versus Wade in 20 years? And guess right, what? Right. They did it. Right. And that's the way I'm thinking as well. Um, and so, I mean, that's the way we have to think, in my right. opinion. You have to think long range. You have to think exactly. holistically. Exactly. Right. You can't think about things in a very secular <laughs> you know exactly um placement of issues mm-hmm. and that's why we try to tell, you know i i tell people you know when i my politics is always holistic mm-hmm. you know um it centers on people but it's holistic because i think it and it's more specifically black people mm-hmm. but i it's it's holistic because i say you solve this particular issue within black culture you solve mm-hmm. everybody's issues yeah and so you know i don't ever believe that you ser- you solving one community is not going to affect another community, Mm -hmm. you know, because we all live in this symbiotic um, lifestyle, right? You know, we don't live in segregated placements of Mm -hmm. our jobs, of our economics, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Of our, our, you know, going to publics. We don't go to different publics. Yeah. You know what I mean? We don't go to different gas stations. Yeah. You know, so like if we know that, you know, if we know that we don't go to different public, we don't go to different gas stations, guess what happens? If we lower gas, it helps everybody. Yeah, exactly. If we lower, you know, if we lower um, the cost of, you know, uh, we get on manufacturing and food and production and we lower those costs, then it helps everybody that, you know, exactly. affording to buy food at the market. Food is expensive now. Yeah. You know, and I mean, yep. I know because I literally shop for a household. I literally just got in the shop for a household this week. Yeah. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. Every time I get leads, I'm like, I can't believe food is this Yeah, this I always look at my cart when I get the bill and I'm like, wow. I feel like the amount of food I'm getting for the bills is getting smaller. It's getting smaller. It's like two grocery bags now. Yeah, like, God, for real. Yeah, it's for, like, no, that's like no, real talk. Like, yeah. like I remember, see, I'm, I'm a lot older than you, but yeah, yeah. um. I don't like the way you say yeah. No, 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 no,
Now, a hundred dollars to your point gets me two bags. Yeah, get like two bags. Two bags of groceries. Two bags of big chips is like eight bucks. (laughs) Yeah, like two bags of Lay's is like eight dollars. Yeah, that's almost that's almost a tenth of the hundred dollars on the chips. I would be fascinated. To know how many members of Congress know how much a bag of chips costs. <laughs> yeah, true. No, no, yeah. Just, like seriously. No, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. like, let's talk about this. You're entering into a body that most Americans mm-hmm. don't ha- don't have a belief in. Yeah. Like, they feel like there's a lot of political elitism within that particular body. And there is, yeah. Yeah. You know, you have, I saw one video. Um, this may not apply to you. Because you're doing very well in fundraising. Oh, thank you. So, um, but one person was like, you know, call your guy, Nancy. Stop calling me, mm-hmm. you know, asking me for money. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're worth a hundred and something million. This person's worth two hundred million. This person, you're that, you know, they're yeah. naming off different members of con- Democratic Congress. Yeah. You're worth two hundred million. You're worth three hundred. Stop calling me. I don't have that money. Call your guy. Call yeah. the person you know that you guys are getting all these stock tips from. Yeah. That it is raising your level of income, mm-hmm. you know, and stop squeezing on the middle person to donate $15, right? Yeah. And so anyway, the point I'm trying to make is there is inherently a divide within the American populace mm-hmm. on how they feel that Congress is built of people who are like the Hunger Games. Yeah. You know what I mean? What was that city in the Hunger Games? Everybody, like all the rich people. Anyway. Oh, like, yeah, President Snow and all that. Yeah, yeah. I think they call it the Capitol. The Capitol, yeah. It's, yeah, it's literally called. called the Capitol, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I think it's called the Capitol. Right, yeah. literally. And so, um, you know, and everybody else is like District 7. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, it's district, like yeah. now certain districts are have more than others, but like essentially, like we're all operating yep. like on the outside looking in. Mm-hmm. So, have you thought about that? Like entering into a body into which, you know, you're driving Ubers, bro. Yeah, yeah. You're like, you might be a member, but you ain't, you ain't a member member. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. And I, I think about that a lot. I'm always reconciling. I'm always thinking about, wow, I'm going to have to reconcile a lot as a member because I am going into a body that does cause a lot of harm. Mm-hmm. I do believe that government is and can be a great tool for what we need. I don't believe it's the only tool. I believe it's one of many. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand that a lot of times I'm going to be fighting for the reduction of harm and not necessarily the complete liberation we need. Mm-hmm. And so these are things I'm always thinking about, and, you know, and, and trying to reconcile. And for me, it's it's always thinking about the end results. Um, something I always ground myself in is I obviously have to win this race first. But, you know, if I'm if I've won, it's always thinking about if it was not me. This or that quote. Right. If not me, then who? Not, um, yeah, yeah. And I always think about that quote because there's two sides to it. There's the positive side that is like, if not me. Who's going to do this? Like, mm-hmm. I need to do it. But there's also another side of it that's like, if not me, it may be someone who does not hold the values that we need in this moment. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I think about it sometimes. And especially with folks running for office, people making real decisions. Um, and Congress is interesting because it's not an executive position. Right. right. And, you know, right. folks listening, you know, executive positions are mayors, governors, presidents. You know, they can just make decisions. Members of Congress, it's one vote of many. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so the Congress is literally for us to have the, for us to do the things we want to do there. It's literally about building power, which is what organizing is all about. And so I see a long term approach to building power in Congress, getting seats little by little. I actually saw I was on Instagram and I, I have a friend named Greg Kosar who just won his race in Texas and mm-hmm. Austin. Great progressive guy. He's young. He's Latino. He's a great guy. And he was at the Texas Democratic Convention. He was on a panel with him, Jasmine Crockett, 
just a young black lawyer who just won her congressional race in Texas, and then Michelle Valle, uh, Valle, Valle, Vallejo, I think is how you say it, and she's a young Latina who had just won her primary too, and they were just sitting, and I was just looking at that smile, that picture smile, and saying, "Wow, these." Three young, like, mm-hmm. people of color, you know, black and Latinos, those are, those are members of Congress. Right, They're going right. to the United States Congress to represent their communities. Right. And, you know, three ain't nothing in Texas, you know right. what I mean? And so yeah. that gives me a lot of hope for Florida. And it's just about getting wins when we can get them and working hard. And that's why, as a member, I'm going to work really, really hard to help other people get up there. Mm. Um, because, you know, it, it shouldn't be this hard and I'm going to do everything I can to help get, you know, people up in Congress. But yeah, I have faith. I have faith in, you know, but it's, we can't place all of our eggs in one basket, but yeah. it, it is going to be weird to be up there, you know, and, and yeah. be in halls with folks who have a completely different lifestyle than me. I'll tell you, like the first check I get being in Congress is going to be first good money I've had <laughs> for the beginning of this campaign. Right. And, uh, but, um, but that's why I'm running. Yeah. We need more working class people up there. I like truly believe that. Yeah. Let's talk about um your journey mm-hmm. and your story. So, you know, some people are not familiar who you are. Yeah. So like what you do, or like you mentioned your March for March, for, know, lives, March yeah. for Lives and how you were an executive director there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about who you are. Like it's your entire, your story. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, well, you know, for me, um, my advocacy journey started 10 years ago, but, you know, for you know, folks who don't know, I was adopted at birth. Um, my bylaw, and this this whole kind of story actually played a big part in me making this decision. I didn't know much about my biological parents until about a month and, like, some change before I announced because I was at that crossroads, did not know if I wanted to run. And something in my heart, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a spiritual guy, I'm raised a Southern Baptist, I'm Christian, I feel like something spiritually told me I needed to, like, figure that out. So uh, this is everything I've learned in the past, like, few years um, or last year. But either way, my biological mother was just someone who, you know, was born into a zip code that's forgotten about. As a woman of color, she's someone who was, you know, uh, had problems. She was, you know, poverty, um, crime, in and out of jail. Um, I'm one of eight siblings on that we know of. Um, and the reason she put me up for adoption is because she was, it was just a very vulnerable point. She never went to the hospital when I was in the womb. And uh, I remember her telling me that she had me at the most vulnerable point in her life, which for me, that was a sticking point for me because uh, there's this quote by Cornell West where he says, we need to see the world through the eyes of the most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And that quote, since the first day I heard it, it's like 2014 or something, it's been everything I think about when I'm on a picket line, everything I think about when I was in a jail cell here on 33rd protesting for black lives, everything I think about when I was lobbying in Congress, all these things. It's just that quote is always in the front of my mind. It's fascinating because actually mm-hmm. that quote actually has had a chokehold over me <clears throat> um, as well. Yeah. And it's why I advocate for people. Yeah. That may not, I may not share their their life or the ideals, but mm-hmm. I advocate for them because I see I'm looking through the lens of them, not yeah. through me. So I didn't mean to interrupt you, but no, yeah, no. No, yeah. Well, that's good. That's great to hear, man. I mean, yeah, it is when I first heard and I'm everyone listening. If you want to be inspired, just go on YouTube and type in Dr. Cornell West. Just listen to one of his lectures. He's a brilliant man. Mm-hmm. Um, My and, frat brother actually. Too. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, yeah. okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, so either way, you know, here my biological mom say, Max, I had you at the most vulnerable point of my life. I, it was put two and two together. And so it made me decide to run ultimately. But either way, I was adopted at birth. Um, and so my mother, my, my biological mother is actually half Lebanese, half Puerto Rican. My biological father is Haitian. Mm. Um, so that's like my uh, blood blood, if you will. Mm. Blood has a loose meaning for me because I've been adopted since birth. So I've never known blood. So mm. either way. Uh, but my mom's Cuban that adopted me. And my dad is actually a white guy who was born in Kansas um, and then raised in Bermuda because his dad was in the Air Force. So my father is actually a full-time musician. He plays steel pans. Mm. Uh, so he does, like, soca and reggae and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And then my mom's a teacher. She's actually retiring next year. She's been a public school educator for over 35 years. Next year's her last year. She does special ed. And y'all know special ed. I believe one of the hardest things to do in, in schooling, especially with the salary they get. Yeah. So, um, so that's, you know, that's my background. I grew up with music in the house. My dad used to go over to my biological mom's house and put headphones on her belly and play music and stuff. Mm. You know, mm. I grew up always hearing my dad playing music, steel pans. My gift I got in the second grade that changed my life forever was a drum set. I remember waking up that morning, seeing that drum set and I played it every day, all night. Mm. I know my parents regretted that. And, uh, um, and I ended up going to Osceola County school for the arts for middle and high school, um, which is by Gatorland, um, yeah, the yeah. old Tupperware center. Yeah. So I went there for seven years um, and it was really in that school where I really figured out who I was, what I believed in. Because um, to be honest, you know, early in middle school, I, I wasn't the best behaved child. Mm-hmm. Not that I was doing bad things. I just always wanted to yeah, make listen, people laugh. You, you, you won't get it. I, I wasn't the most. Well, <laughs> yeah. Person I, you know what's funny? Yeah. I, I ran into my sixth grade teacher a while ago and she was like, Maxwell, you know, you spent 85 percent of your sixth grade year in detention. I was like, dang. <laughs> but only 85 yeah, yeah right. Right, right i was right. always talking i wasn't doing yeah. anything like bad bad but you know just right. talking making jokes trying to you know ma- impress people my energy was really you know into just being in a goofball mm-hmm. and uh, my energy started changing because of multiple things that happened early in my high school career mm-hmm. um one of those was band and just music and you know Band is no joke, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, you know, being yelled at by my band instructor and having to really focus in on that craft and wanting to excel in it changed my life forever. And that's something that my dad really instilled in me too because he, you know, I have a, my dad, I come from a military family. So people come from military, y'all know, like, you know, it's just, you know, my dad is very nice, but also, you know, Mm -hmm. has high expectations. And uh, that was also the same in my band class where I spent most of my time because I was in an art school and uh, either way, I made this salsa band in high school called Seguro Que Si, because um, I fell in love with salsa music kind of in my ninth, tenth grade year. I always heard it my whole life because I have a Hispanic family, but it was my first time playing it. Mm. And the thing about salsa music and also soca um, and just I like like music from the Bahamas is what got me enthralled was what's called the engine room, which is, you know, in a lot of music, you got a drum set where the drummer is responsible for all the aspects of the beat, the drum beat. But in salsa and soca music and all this, you have multiple people playing one drum or two drums, mm-hmm. and they're working together to essentially make a drum set. You know, you got bongos, timbales, you got cowbells, and depending on the music, you got djembes, everybody working together in what's called the rhythm section or uh, the engine room. And so that changed my life when I started playing salsa music, and uh, I made a salsa band, 
And I had interned for Obama's reelection campaign and wanted to go to the inauguration with my dad. So I went on the website, scrolled down, saw apply for tickets. You know, I applied for tickets. And at the end, I saw this little like footer that said apply to perform. And I was like, whatever, you know, I was like, I'll apply. You know what I mean? Like, so I clicked it and I applied for my band. I submitted everything and I was like, okay, whatever. And didn't think of it, anything of it. A couple of weeks later, I get an email from the presidential inaugural committee. Keep in mind, I, I'm like 14 or 15 years old. And it said, hey, we've moved you to the next step. Uh, to move on to the next one, you need to get a signed letter from your U.S. senator. I'm like 14 or 15. I think it was 15. 15 years old. I never did anything in politics besides that internship. Mm-hmm. I had no connections. So I emailed every day for about three weeks Senator Bill Nelson's office, and I called every day because I was a very persistent, annoying kid. And uh, then one day I woke up, and I had a recommendation letter with Senator Bill Nelson, and I submitted it. And then one day I'm in class, and I get a phone call, 202 area code, and I'm like, what's 202? It said Washington, D.C. So I you know, asked my teacher if I could use the restroom. And then I go outside and whip my phone, and I answer, and we got accepted to perform at the inauguration, my salsa band. And um, and I remember, though, at the end of the call, they said, by the way, uh, we don't put any funds into this. You have to raise all your own money. Yeah, of course. So yeah. I go to my principal. I have a meeting with my principal and my parents. And I'm like, hey, I spoke with this bus. I spoke with Mears. I spoke with all these bus companies. I, I got the hotel prices. It's going to cost about uh, $12,000 to bring the band up there and back and everything. And then the school was like, when do we need to have it by? And I was like, oh, it's in like three and a half weeks. It, this was like in December. Um, and then they were like, we can't do that. You know, right. like, good job, Maxwell. Great job. But, you know, we're not going to be able to raise that money. And my parents even said that and like broke my heart. I like cried every night during that break. And then I was just like, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to prove everyone wrong. <clears throat> so every day I'm, I wrote all these letters. I started going businesses door to door in like Kissimmee and South Orlando, knocking on doors, being like, hey, my band's going to perform the inauguration. Can you be one of our sponsors? We'll put your logo um, on something. I don't even know what I, I made, like these little packages and stuff. And either way, in a week, I raised $6,000. By myself. Wow. And I remember that I got called into the principal's office when school came back in. The principal was like, we heard you raise half the money. And I was like, yeah, I was like, you know, I was just talking with business owners and they were excited about it. And my principal was like, all right, now we'll, we can help you raise the second half. Let's right. do this. So I got excused from class pretty much for like two weeks. I was just with the principal and like the administration raising money. We raised all the money. Wow. We went up to D.C. We were the first salsa band in the history of our country to perform in an inauguration. We represented the state of Florida and that was the first big thing I ever did. And it was the first time I ever did anything with politics and being in DC, it really changed my life and the, the marrying of my music and politics and getting to see Obama, someone who is one of the reasons I'm involved with politics. He's, it was a big inspiration to me, especially as a kid changed my life. And so either way, that, that was a, that was a big thing for me. It's probably the reason I'm here to be honest. One of the many, I believe everything, you know, every, every, everything adds up. Every experience yeah. in your life adds up to why you're exactly you're, the moment you're in right now. Um, that's a great story. That was a great story. And I love, love how you took us through that, that yeah. journey, um, you know, your, of engagement, I guess. Yeah. Right. Because like, it's your first time you really just kind of my first time yeah. I came back from that trip and I signed up to run for SGA president at yeah. my school. Like I stopped getting in trouble. It was almost instant. It's just like something about that trip and doing all the news interviews. And that was my, my first NPR interview ever was actually for that. Like if you go on mm-hmm. Google and you type in, say, we don't get see 
Orlando or inauguration, you can you can see they did the story and just that all of that just kind of showed me what's possible mm-hmm. if I really focused in on other things. Right. And you know, so mm-hmm. yeah. Um let's talk about like your journey in the campaign. Yeah. And you talked about how it's tough. Yeah. Like, you know, running and especially being broke. Yeah. Um yeah. What is that like? Because I've heard, I've had stories with candidates. Just to give you an example, where I've had candidates that their car was literally repossessed yeah. as they were running for office. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because they have no money. Mm-hmm. And it's like you're you're literally running and not making any form of income. Yeah, because all your time is spent on trying to get people to vote. Yeah, for you exactly. Um, talk about that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was a bit, when I was first having those conversations with people about running, one of the, you know, the first thing everyone asks is, can you raise money? Mm. And to be honest, I was just always like, yeah, yeah, of course. I didn't know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I didn't know if I could raise money. I was just like, yeah, we'll we'll be fine. I I know people. Um, And then the second question people would ask are like, how are you personally financially? You know, are you going to have a job and this and that? And, you know, for me, I was like, yeah, I'm going to cash in my PTO. I had like a ton of PTO at work. I was like, I've been saving I think I'll be, I think I'll live off of that for a while. <clears throat> and I was like, and I'll pick up some consulting contracts. You know, I, I was a national organizing director at March for Our Lives. Before that, I was also a national organizer at the ACLU. So it's like, I can definitely pick up some organizing contracts, do some work, you know, and make some money. And, oh, how foolish was I? <laughs> you know what I mean? Number one, I blew through all the money I saved very, in a quick way, mainly because my lease ended at where I lived. And the rent hike freeze was taken off. And so my rent went up 33%. And so um, paying to move was a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, Food was a lot. And then there was a month where I didn't have a place to live. And I couldn't live at home with my parents because my grandma's 79. And this was during Delta. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'm not about to put my grandma at risk. So I uh, couch surfed for a while. I put like uh, a good amount of money in my savings to just being in an Airbnb for a month. Um, after I was kind of just kind of homeless for like three weeks, I just was like, I need a place to sleep. I was like, I'm not going to do this. So I kind of emptied my whole bank account on an Airbnb for a month. And, uh, and I was like, I'm just going to start Ubering. And then that's where the Uber started. Um, and I started Ubering and then, yeah, at like week two of the Airbnb is when my account hit zero. And I was like, damn, I really need to step up the Uber. Cause I wasn't taking it that seriously. It was just like right. Ubering, you know, it's like, I need to eat tonight. Let me go Uber. And then I like would Uber and use that money to eat. But then I was like, I need to seriously Uber so I can have money. Mm-hmm. So that whole time period, that was October and November was the hardest part of the campaign for my personal finances and not having money to eat and like sleeping for dinner and stuff like that. And I really had to make the decision to take a few weekends in December to not campaign and just go hard on Uber. For my Uber drivers, y'all know the weekend bonuses and the quests. So I was like, let me put in like 60 hours of Uber in these three days so I can get like at least a G in my bank account so I can then focus on the campaign. So either way, um, that's, you know, I spent a lot of time doing that and it's difficult and like the contracts Never able to do them. I had two lined up, and then when I filed as a candidate, I got calls from those executive directors the same week saying, we're a nonpartisan organization. We don't think we can have you on the payroll even as a consultant. And I was like, I told you I was running for office. And they were like, yeah, but, like, 
sorry. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, 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 right. And I was like, damn. I was like, I was like, you know, the contracts, that's what I was going to do. So it's just difficult as a candidate because all these organizations that you have relationships with, they can't hire you because you're a federal candidate. Right. And, you know, I wanted to gig, but the thing is that it's in gig, like, like play drums and stuff. You know, my dad's a full-time musician. He works at Disney. So I know a lot of the agents and I was like, Hey, can y'all, you know, get me out there. I'll play with some of the bands. And it's hard with that because then it was like setting up gigs and then, Oh, a candidate forms comes, comes out of nowhere. Mm. Got to, you know, I'm doing a candidate form because this is the first thing. This is like the top priority. So then I was like, damn, I can't do any job where I have to do a commitment of time because I need a job that allows me to be flexible because, you know, in, in these like political campaigns, things come out of nowhere. Yeah, literally. And you want to do them. I mean, you know, literally yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yesterday, yeah, you, podcast. Text, yeah, yesterday you, wanna... you texted me, say you want to be on the podcast. And, and it, I, I like want to be available. for yeah. Like I want to be and I yeah. didn't want to be, you know, I was thinking about going to Olive Garden because I served at Olive Garden for a summer yeah. once. And I was like, I can go back to Olive Garden and make some good money. I was a good server. And I was like, I can't do that because I'm going to be calling out left and right. I'm just right. going to be a really bad employee and probably get fired. So that's why I decided to do Uber instead because it gave me the flexibility to do what I need to do. Then Uber started sucking a lot when the gas went up. Yeah. And there was a time there where Uber didn't do anything about it. I think it was like two months where you were just like taking L's. So then I was like, damn, I really need to figure something else out or whatever. And, uh, you know, I'm blessed to have a friend who lent me some money. For that time, now Uber's better because there's a gas surcharge and stuff. And now gas gas is starting to go down. But either way, it's difficult. And I'll say it's this has been the hardest time of my life financially. But on top of that, I still feel really blessed. And I'm still very lucky. And I'm still very privileged because there are I had people who would look out for me. Mm-hmm. If I didn't have money to eat, sometimes I'd text a friend and they would lend me money. There are a lot of people in this world who don't have that privilege. So even though it's been really hard, I feel privileged to even be in the struggle. Right. Because there's folks who cannot even conceive being in that struggle. And that's why I always say it's a privilege to be running for office in the first place. So I wanna I wanna lean into this story a little bit. Um, because I feel like that's a really relatable story. Yeah. Yeah. Um a lot of times people having paycheck to paycheck, living paycheck to paycheck. And they may, they may or may not be homeless, mm. right? But that's something I think resonates with a lot of people. I think you relate more than, let's say, members of Congress who, yeah. you know, yeah. can open up their Sub-Zero fridge <laughs> yeah. and kind of tell you, like, how many different fra- flavors of ice cream they have. Yeah. You know, and so, like, um, is that something you, you pull from when you like, in running, like, you know what? Like my story is a human story that I want to communicate to the world mm-hmm. because I understand. I want people to see that I understand yeah. like their economic. No, you know, a hundred percent. I talk about it all the time, and I talk about the fact you know this is that whole nuance thing, right? right. Cons- like a lot of consultants, not I. I think I have great consultants, but like a lot of consultants will tell you, Max, hone in on the month you were houseless because that's a very like you know I was homeless at one point. That's a good political thing to put on a political mailer. But I'm always like, I mean, I want to talk about that, but I also want to talk about the fact that I think most people can sympathize with having a home, having a car, maybe having a nice car, and still living paycheck to paycheck because you're paying for these things. Yeah. Right? I mean, you don't like you can be in a really bad situation and have a home and have a car and maybe have nice things, but still 
be paycheck to paycheck paying for your necessities like food and medicine and stuff like that. Because at the end of the day, if you're in a lease, you're paying your rent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it don't matter if you got, you know, you're paying, I don't know, let's say you're paying a thousand dollar rent, you make a thousand dollars and that's all you got. Right. It's going to rent. It's going to rent. <laughs> yeah. But you need a food over your head. Yeah. You need a roof over, you your, need head. A roof yeah. over yeah. your head and you're in a legally binding contract to pay for rent. You can skip a meal if you need to. Uh, rent, I mean, you got to pay that or else you're kind of messed up. Mm. So either way, I was, you know, I, I was like, I like talking about the totality of the circumstances because everyone's in a different situation mm-hmm. and it's not always, you know, point blank. You know, we, I, you know, you hear those comments where people are like, you know, she's struggling with money, but she got that nice car. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like, I reject that because everyone is different. Now, mm. are there people who live beyond their means, quote unquote? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Sure. But I think most people are in their problems not because they live beyond their means, but because they've been denied the means to live. Mm. And for me, uh, especially the last year, has taught me a lot about that firsthand. Yeah. It's weird how sometimes the hardships of your life teach you the best lessons. Mm. Like, why do I have to go through this shit in order for me like, to like, <laughs> yeah. have wisdom? Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. Like, And it's, it's, it sucks because the people who... <clears throat> You know, oftentimes they navigate through life because they yeah. didn't really have any real hardships. Yeah. You know, they just kind of like things just floated. Yeah. You know, and then they 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 attribute it to like, well, I just made the best decisions. And yeah. sometimes it's not based on, quote unquote, the best decision. It's just based on life decisions. Yeah. You know, 100 percent. And, you know, it's those life decisions that you kind of learn mm-hmm. that, you know what, you know, sometimes I, I had to make the tough choice. You know, I had to make the tough decision in order to, am I going to eat yeah. or am I going to have shelter? Yeah. You know, um, am I going to pay my car note mm. or am I going to pay my cell phone bill? What can I, you know, exactly. I, you know, maybe I can go without a car, but I can't go without myself because maybe I can call an Uber yep. or something, you know, to get me to where I need to get to. But exactly. if I have a car, maybe I can't. So you have to, people make these decisions all the time. Exactly. And this is the person these these are the people that you're going to have to like think about when you're in exactly. DC. So how are you going to stop yourself mm-hmm. from being succumbed to the succubus of yeah. greed and power in DC? Yeah, this is something I'm always thinking about because I want to make sure I'm always serving the people in the right way. Mm-hmm. And I think a big part of it, especially being on the other side of being someone who's been holding people accountable, yeah. is there always needs to be systems in place for that accountability. Believe it or not, most Congress members don't have systems in place, right? It's like if you got a problem or you're slipping, it's usually emails, talking with the staff, which is fine. I think staff at the, stuff at the staff level is fine and there's systems of accountability there. Um, but I just think it's important to have real systems of accountability in place. So it's not just having some advisory labor advisory committee that meets, and this is no shade to anyone, but like a lot of members of Congress will have labor advisory committee. They meet once a quarter or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, is that really a venue for real accountability? I would argue not. Maybe like there can be some hard discussions, but if you have an hour long with a member of Congress, right. And maybe there were some things that were said or done that you don't agree with, but then you also have a big agenda you want this member to fight for. We subconsciously make, you know, priorities in, when we're in when the presence of power, per se. And I, for people who are just hearing the quotations, power, when you're in the presence of power, that you want to get the things you need and maybe the you want, holding them accountable is lower on the priority list if you only got an hour with them a quarter. Right. So I think the ways of doing that are, number one, having real engagement with community stakeholders in the work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? It can look a lot of different ways. Uh, 
frequency of meetings is important, um, but also real engagement at the community level is important. And something I've committed to doing, which only a handful of members do, and for folks who don't know, you go to Congress, I think you get a budget of, I think it's $5 million, maybe it's $2 million. It's one of those two numbers. But you get a healthy budget for district operations. You can yeah. kind of use it however you want. District offices, you can have one, you can have a big one, you can do two small ones, whatever, staff, all this. Well, we're going to use part of that money for having a year-round organizing department, mm. which is going to work at uh, being involved in community work year-round, so knocking doors year-round, not knocking doors saying, vote for Maxwell Frost on August 23rd, but knocking on doors and saying, hey, uh, you know, um, the painters have an apprenticeship program. They're looking for two people. If you're looking for a new career, you mm. can go in this program. You get 100% um, higher rate afterwards. If you're interested, you know, there's information on this pamphlet, right? Hey, I want to let you know that, right. uh, uh, you know, Kamara Williams and some other folks are doing a food drive this mm-hmm. day. You know, it's down the road. If you need food, you can go to that, right? Just power building with the community and ensuring that um, those, you know, organizers are always talking with uh, members of the community and that is getting up to the member. Yeah. Um, it's like stuff like that, you know, those creative solutions. No, see, that, that's dope. And then let me tell you, um, a lot of people don't realize, and I'm mm. glad you mentioned that, the discretionary. I don't mm. know what the budget is, I th- but it is a large, healthy budget. Yeah, right? it's like right. it's like over a million, right. for sure. And But I remember I was reading, because I'm a nerd, mm-hmm. that some members of Congress put all that discretionary money into media. Mm. Like they have, yeah. me- like they have, like they're going to take that money because they want to build their media profile. Yep. And so they hire PR firms and they hire yep. media consultants and yep. all image consultants and all these other things because their design is not really engagement but like having a national yeah. appeal exactly and i read that like yeah like they'll, so they'll put you know their money all their st- all their discretionary money into just that even policy they don't even yep. have a policy person they just all, everything is media yep. and talking points yeah and people will be surprised at how many congress people mm-hmm. Um, have put their money into that. And it shows you, show me where you put your money into, I'll show you what your value is. Yeah. And exactly. if your value system is media and appeal, then it's not, it's not people. Exactly. You know, exactly. and so I do love to hear that that's one of the things that you're looking to do. And yeah. that's encouraging. Um, let's talk about this race. Yeah. Okay. So, um, came out the gate and you shout out, like I, I'll be honest. I didn't, I didn't know who you were. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, I don't know. And you know, we could be. We've had a couple, you know, private meetings. Yeah, yeah. You and I, so we could say this. Um, before you know, number people are like you know, uh, Maxwell wants to get get to know you, mm. wants to meet you, and I was like, I don't know who this guy is. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he's trying to meet me, and I was like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You know, but I, I've re- been reading about him, mm-hmm. and you know, before. I meet with anybody. I ask around. Yeah. And I'm sure as you sure you did with me. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Few people. Yeah, yeah. 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 You met you like, well, tell me about this person. Yeah. And so, um, you know, people, they said, you know, good things mm-hmm. about you. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll take the meeting with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of the things we've talked about, one of your, the hardships has been you trying to get people to get to know you in the community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How has that been? Yeah, I think it's been good. I mean, it's a hard thing because, you know, I think a lot of times people, there are, it's a, it's a very large district with a lot of different pockets, communities. Let's talk about what the culture. district is because people may not yeah, be Yeah, right. so people know the district has changed. So 
essentially it goes from kind of Pine Hills and kind of it, it also dips down to parts of uh, Dr. Phillips and goes all the way to uh, UCF. Actually, it goes much it goes more east than UCF. If folks know where the reception center is, um, it yeah. goes kind of all the way out there to Bifflo. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it has the reception centers yeah. in the district, so it goes yeah. out pretty far east. And then it has uh, Maitland, Winter Park, and then it stops down at Soto. Okay. And everything in between, downtown, Pine Hill, like everything in between, uh, Paramore, uh, Milk, all the, you know, pretty much all the main streets, I'm pretty sure. And so uh, it's a large district, very diverse. Um, it's the product of these racist congressional maps where DeSantis said, we want to cut black representation in half. Um, I still believe we'll, you know, our goal is to have a, a black member of Congress and, mm-hmm. uh, but either way. Um, and so it is, but it is a very diverse district, a lot of different pockets of communities, people, cultures, everything like that. It's a very interesting district. And so, um, but I think a lot of times, you know, we have a, like people will think about, for instance, you know, a name you've heard in the community for a long time versus actual community engagement. Yeah. Um, and, those things a lot of the times can be separate. They can be like tied together. It's, it's you know, it's hard. Um, and there are a lot of parts of the community that I have not engaged with, right? A lot of my work has been political in a lot of political and organizing circles, a lot of mutual aid. A lot of times, you know, there'll be folks I speak with from certain communities who are like, I never heard of you. And I'm like, oh, well, I've done a lot of work in this community. But then I'm like, I've done a lot of works with young organizers in the community. And now it makes sense, you know, uh, wh- you know, whether it's helping out at with specific people. So there's always work to do. And especially as someone who, even though I've been in politics for years, I'm still a, you know, quote unquote political newcomer mm-hmm. to running for office. Right. Um, and so either way, so, you know, I, I have been doing the work, but it's just, you know, when you're not an elected official um, or someone who's been very kind of forward facing for a long time, mm-hmm. it's difficult to get that appeal. My, my forward facing work really started during the Black Lives Matter um, Right uprisings that those were like my first news interviews as an activist and organizer when i worked for, as a, for amendment four and i was the field manager for the aclu of florida i was doing that work but i was kind of doing it behind the scenes i was traveling the whole state and we were organizing people and we had a staff and we were doing a lot of work for amendment four but i never did any interviews or anything i was a staff member right. you know i was just doing i was doing staff work i was you know doing that organizing and so um so that has been a challenge but i think we've been doing a good job I, we can always do better and we're always looking for feedback and you've given me feedback and a lot of people give me feedback on ways that we can increase that. You know, I've been going to a lot of HOA meetings, which a lot of, you know, congressional candidates usually don't do getting to meet with community folks. And it's, you know, it's hard because it's such a big district and there's so many pockets of communities, but I think, you know, it's something we're, we're we need to get better at. And I think we're getting better, but you know, we only got 37 days left. We yeah. meet a lot of people. Yeah. 37 um, days. Yeah. So let's talk about the demographic of yeah. this district. Cause you said it's diverse, right? So give me the age, demographic, yeah. median income, you know, that minority breakdown. Yeah, so the minority breakdown and a lot of this information is still being put together because the district has just like right. changed. And so a lot of the census data and a lot of the like data IO stuff is still non-existent. But from what we can tell, um, the district is roughly it's over like 40 percent white. OK, um, it's around 35 percent black. And everyone listening, keep them. I'm giving very general right, percentages. Right, right, right. Just, yeah. Big, you know, round exactly. numbers. Yeah. 
And then um, we're in the high 20s of Hispanic Latinos. Okay. And then there is, you know, a good amount of Asian folks. Obviously, we're you know, talking specific areas, um, especially around the Mills District. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and so, yeah, and it's so it's a pretty diverse district age-wise. Median, median um, income. Median income. We don't have those numbers specifically, but I can break it down for areas. So, for instance, when we talk about the west side and with certain parts in there, we have a medium income of around twenty thousand dollars. Wow! Yeah, it's really depressing. I always bring up the fact that you know the OPD headquarters was millions of dollars in a neighborhood <laughs> where the household medium income. Remember, y'all, we talking about household medium income, so we're not saying oh, like one person in the household, right, right. like average amongst everyone is twenty thousand dollars, and that's why whenever I drive in Paramore and I drive by the OPD headquarters, and then you drive into the neighborhoods, it's just. You know, it's like night and day. Yeah. Um, but either way, um, so, and then things even out, uh, or not even out, but, you know, the income goes up a lot more when you get into um, what I'll call the center part of the district, which is downtown and all yeah. the, and the kind of a lot of those main streets, you get into like 50 to 60, yeah. kind of the more suburban ones. Right. And it dips down a little bit more as you go east and you get into some of the more Hispanic yeah. areas when you right. get into the 40s and 30s. Right. Um, and so... It's kind of diverse in, in, in income, to be honest. There's pretty wealthy parts of our district, and right. then there's obviously... In the Winter Park. And yeah, Winter yeah. Park. Um, and certain parts of Maitland. Certain parts of Maitland, um, certain parts of College Park, obviously. And uh, when you get down to deep Dr. Phillips, we have a sliver of Dr. Phillips, yeah. and there's some wealthy folks there. Mm-hmm. We have parts of Windermere, too. Um, and really? So, yeah. And so there is... Am I, I don't know if you're on my ballot. Uh, where do you live? Windermere. Oh, Okay. Uh, Maybe, uh, like for instance, um, Alan Grayson, who's in the race, lives. We're there. We're gonna talk about that. Yeah, yeah. We're he about he that. lives there, and he's in. He's like just in the district, but he is at <laughs> least at least the house, the address that you know yeah. is online. Right. So it, it's interesting, you know. It's a very very diverse district. Uh, there's more data coming in to tell us more about the totality of the people. But the good thing is that we know these, you know, these areas. We know these areas, right? You know, mm-hmm. West Orlando's in it. Mm-hmm. You got Pine Hills. You, uh, we go to Center Orlando. We got all of the Main Street districts. Uh, we got East Orlando. We go all the when we go to UCF. We know that's like the student town. Right. And we know we got a large Hispanic population in between that and downtown. Um, and then we know Winter Park and Maitland. Right. You know what I mean? So, um, but it's sad too because that also means you know we have a very segregated town. Right. Um, very segregated town. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about like the the number of different people in the race. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to talk about anybody specifically. <clears throat> yeah. But you just mentioned Alan Grayson. Mm-hmm. I think Corey Brown, Corey Brown just jumped yeah, in. Yeah, Corey Brown. Yeah, Congresswoman Corey Brown. Um, former Congresswoman, co- former Congresswoman Corey Brown. Yeah. Um, former Congressman Alan Grayson. Mm-hmm. Um, State Senator. Randolph Bracey. Randolph Bracey. Mm-hmm. Pastor Terrence Gray. Mm-hmm. Um... Natalie Jackson. You know, community organizer, uh, attorney, Natalie Jackson, which I actually have a personal relationship with. Yeah, Natalie's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And um, then yourself. Yeah. Am I missing anybody? There's other people. No. Are you joking? Yeah, there's 10 Democrats on the ballot. There's 10 Democrats on the ballot? Yeah, if you're in this district, you're going to see 10 names on your ballot. Yep. Oh. So who would you say? We said Natalie Jackson. That's six people. That was six? Yeah. So there's a guy named Jack Achenbach. Nope. There is a guy named Khalid. I forget his last name, but there's a guy named Khalid. Don't know him. Um, T- Teresa Tashone. Don't know who that is. And Jeff Boone. 
Don't know who that is. Yeah, so those are the other people. When did they all, have they always been there? A lot of them have been in since the beginning. Uh, the two newest ones are uh, uh, Congressman, yeah, um, uh, Congressman Corey Brown and Congressman Alan Grayson. What is it like running in such a crowded field? <laughs> well, you know, I think the important thing to know, too, is, I and I hate the whole conversation of viability versus this and that, but, you know, cer- certain times there are a set of candidates who you see a lot more, you hear of a lot more, you're, you know, and so... Those candidates, I would say it's more five or six mm-hmm. versus ten. Um, but it's interesting, you know. I think um, I think part. I think it's cool, kind of. And I know a lot of people are going to disagree with he's, me. He's, uh, he's being political here. He, he, no, does, but, he doesn't uh, think it's cool. But go, you know. Well, obviously, go off though. No, no. <laughs> I, I like you know. I I think competitive primaries are important for our party to grow. Absolutely, I really believe that. And so. Um, so, you know, I and like I really think it's I think it is cool when there's a lot of people running for office. I think that we should definitely be very strategic in how we do things as a party. And that's, you know, a conversation. That's a whole other conversation. Or we could but have like, that conversation. For instance, there's a lot of folks in this race who I think, you know, should be in public office. Not necessarily this one right now. Right. Uh, but also I'm the 25 year old in the race. Who am I to tell, you know, who am I to say who belongs where? You know, I think it's like we all go and we all run our races and may the person, you know, may the winner win. Right. Um, so it's it's interest it's interesting. So like, let's talk about your age, right? <clears throat> because that's kind of a yeah. detractor from certain people, maybe. Uh, uh, you know, you know, they're saying you know, it's like both. Okay, so yeah. good or bad. Right? I, I've seen mostly positives about from you, it. Yeah, you know, about it. Twenty five. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely helped in a big way. It's not the reason I'm running, right? But like, and you know, I'll be the fir- if I was elected, I'll be the first member of my generation, Gen Z, to be in Congress. It's not the reason, but I think it's an important part of the story because folks don't realize this. Republicans actually have Democrats beat by a lot. As far as diversity of age in Congress, I yeah by a lot. Yeah. Only seven percent of House Democrats are under the age of forty. Wow. We're not even talking like twenties, yeah. like me or thirty. Yeah. Not under the age of forty. Yeah. So the Democrats actually have a huge problem in allowing new blood and new people in there, and, and the Republicans don't have, really have that problem. You see in the House leadership, yeah. Um, you have folks who are young, you know, 30 year old people on, on the Republican side, leadership of the Republican Party. Yeah. So I think that's something that we need to we need to work on um, in a big way. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I agree. Yeah. Um, so that kind of goes to the idea of like name ID. Yeah. Right. Sometimes we get so caught up in a party of this person has name IDs that makes him the better candidate. You know, um, tell me what your thoughts on that are. Yeah, I mean, name ID is, uh, you know, like we spoke about before, there are a ton of factors that go into what makes a you know, good candidate, but also what makes a candidate win. Right. Name ID is a big factor, right? Um, you start off, you know, you start off at a better advantage because your name's already out there. Right. Um, and so 100%, I don't refute that. But the other thing, too, and we've seen this in, in history and in times, is there's a lot of times when candidates with way lower name ID when they get the but lower name ID but better message, absolutely. When I'm, they're when I'm they're a product to, of that, yeah, yeah. When they're able to get their message out there twice, by the way, yeah. There you go. When they're when they're able to get their message out there, they win because it's just a better message. There's yeah. a higher hill to climb, yeah. And that's why when we talk about the fundraising, you know, we have out fundraised everyone by a lot. Or my next closest competitor on fundraising, we have doubled. But also, I argue that I have to raise that much money. Like, it's cool, it's impressive, this and that. But like, I have to because I have a name ID gap to go over. So I, right. I, it is required of me as someone who does not have that name ID to get that money, so I can 
double outspend everyone on TV, mail, and field, and everything. So I you can don't get have as much there. earned media as like exactly. Well, we yeah. have a good amount of earned media. Like I've been, I've had more national hits than everybody in this race. Okay. But but like it's just their name is already known. You know okay. what I mean? Yeah. Like they start off at a higher place in, you know, for, you know, like if you pulled and asked, do you know these names? Right. But, um, and so I have to raise more so that way I can get my name out there and get my message out there. But we see if you have a better message, you can win. Right. We saw right. it happen with Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. Right. Everyone knew who Hillary Clinton was. Right. Somehow this dude named Barack Obama, which not everyone knew. Barack Hussein Obama. Barack yeah. Hussein Obama. Yeah. Yet at the beginning, almost no one knew about him, except if you lived in Illinois, and he was kind of a center, and a lot of folks knew about that time nationally. He just His message rang true. He was able to get the resources he needed to show everybody's message, and then he won. So I'm not saying I'm Barack Obama or anything, but I'm just saying like that's a great example of how um, name ID is important, but it's one of many factors and my band director used to say this all the time. He would come in the band room and he'd say, all the things, all the time. And he'd yeah. make us repeat it. And that's the motto of our campaign. we got to have all the things going for us at 100%. Oh, yeah. Running on full, all four cylinders, all six cylinders, whatever, and moving to the end. Yeah, you know, um, for my own personal story, uh, for me it was Aramis Ayala. Yeah, yeah. And then, then it was Monique Worrell. And so, like, you know, both candidates, especially Monique, nobody knew who she was. Yeah. You know, nobody knew, you know, and but the thing is, what we felt confident about mm-hmm. was her messaging. And plus, I always say, like, if I, have, I have a theory mm-hmm. with candidates. Give me the candidate who is going to be outside mm-hmm. in the middle of August knocking on doors. Yeah. And yeah. I'm going to tell you, that's, a, that's the, the candidate that's going to win. Yeah. And if I can look at this candidate and I can't see them walking yeah. and knocking on doors... In the middle of August, <laughs> August heat, yep. then I don't want them running. Yeah. You know, and um, so there's, again, that's one of the factors. And then the other factor is can they communicate with messaging yeah. and then can they communicate that message effectively? And so I think those things hold truer mm-hmm. than name ID. Yeah. Because sometimes we get caught up in the idea that name ID is the end all be all of identifying. This is the proper candidate. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, it's like, mm, I don't yeah. know. I don't know about that. I can't, I've never, I don't, I see it more often than not that it's the messaging and the hard work yeah. that pull, pushes through, not the name ID. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's nice to have, but it's not the only thing that matters. I mean, there's yeah. a race right now in New York that people can look up. It's a perfect example, New York Congressional District 10. Mm-hmm. It's like our race, Florida 10, there's something with the 10s. Mm-hmm. There's like 10 to 15 people running. And one of those people is former mayor of New York, Bill de Blasio. He was the mayor of New York. Right, and he's right? running for Congress. Yeah. And he's running for Congress. And guess what? A poll just came out. He's at like 2 or 3%. Yeah. His name ID is the highest. Right. But it doesn't necessarily mean people want to vote for him. Right. And people got a real name ID just means, oh, yeah, I know that. Person. I know that. But it doesn't yeah. mean I'm going to vote. It for doesn't mean I'm going to vote. for. I them. keep saying that. I'm yeah, not going to so. mention it because I want to get you in trouble. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I fully endorse the idea. <laughs> yeah. That sometimes I, I again, there's a candidate. Mm-hmm. Not going to get you in trouble. This is my podcast. Yeah. yeah. But there's a candidate who I say, oh, you know, name ID. I say, you know what? Five out of ten of those people um, know who he is. Right, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and but if two out of ten of them are going to vote for them, yeah. what is the purpose of the name ID? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't matter if yeah. five out of ten people know who you are. 
if only two of those people are going to vote for you. Yeah, and I, and I think the big thing, too, is we're, we live in a state where we don't run offs. Yeah. You get one more vote than the other person, you're going to Congress. Right. And so, I mean, I don't even, I mean, I want as many votes as I can get. We want as many votes as I can get. But let's be clear, the person who wins this race is not going to have 50% of the votes. No. They're probably not going to have 40% of the votes, maybe not even 35. They're probably going to win with 25% or 25, maybe, maybe 30. I would say 25 is the is the easy number. <clears throat> you know, 30 is, is, a, is a washout. You just destroy yeah, the field. Yeah, if you get 30% of the vote in this race with yeah. this many people, you, you're, yeah, that's going to be seen, you know, high, high numbers. Low um, number, I would say, and this is my gut. Again, I haven't looked at your numbers yeah. here. My low number would be 17%. Mm, is, yeah. a, is a good... If it's really split. Yeah. It's a split. I, I, would, I would say 17% of the vote gets you a good <clears throat> shot. 25% yeah. gets yeah. you the shot. Yeah. You know, um, but that's my opinion. Yeah, and then you got to look at. The, I don't know. Again, I haven't looked at demogra- the the numbers in the district because I've mm-hmm. been busy. But yeah. usually, I'm a nerd. I would have looked at voter turnout in the past in that yeah. district and about amount of numbers that usually come out with the in this particular area. Yeah, this pond, right? How many fish are jumping in this exactly. pond? Um, but you know, I'm sure you got you guys have run that those numbers. Yeah, yeah, we definitely yeah. have, and you know, we expect unfortunately a low turnout just because we also look at trends of what's going on right now nationally. We have yeah. such a late primary, we can easily see, and there's been low turnout around the whole country. Uh, we're working, which is to, designed by the Republicans to have low, hundred percent, to have a, an August um, primary. Oh yeah, so you get what like a month and, and change to like coalesce as a party and running in the general yeah i mean you know it's, it helps incumbents mm-hmm. um but we have such a late primary we can see what the trends of the whole country and the whole country is just low turnout right now for many reasons and you know we as a campaign we're working to you know have a high turnout we want as many people out voting as we want um but we anticipate the turnout will be probably you know kind of low mm-hmm. so one thing i would say about running too i was texting um someone who's running for office mm-hmm. And I said, you know, it's much better to be trending up at three at three and a half weeks from now than mm-hmm. three and a half months ago. Yep. You know, and yeah. So I mean, I I always most say people don't pay attention till the last two to three weeks. Most people don't pay attention to the last two or three yeah, weeks. Yeah, and still, most people make yeah. their decision actually like a few days before they go in. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I always, my thing is like I, I don't believe. Sometimes candidates they get so caught up in like, you know, five, four or five months out from election, they're doing polls. I'm like, this is like the dumbest shit. Like, why are you polling? I will I will say I think the polls are helpful far out for figuring out what messaging, but like the horse race, not as much. And for yeah. like for folks who don't know, like the horse race, I mean like who's first, who's yeah. second, who's third. Right. You know, that's like it's good to know and it helps with fundraising and stuff like that, I guess. But for me, like a poll that far out, it's just good to know like what are people thinking about? Right. You know, are, are, the are, even, on, are even on the, uh, is this race even on the radar of most people? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, what's the, the name ID? It's helpful to know, I guess. And like, but my main thing with those early polls is like, what are the top issues for people? I just want to know, like, what are people thinking about right now? But those things can change in three to five months. They can. You know, yeah. because they like, can. you know, uh, it might've been production level five months ago. Now it's gas. Right. And then, yeah. So like we don't know, but it, the the tectonic the tectonic shapes uh, uh, plates behind under the, the candidate shift all the time. But I, I again, my thing is I always tell in a campaign you want to peak at the right time. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Like you yeah. don't want to peak too early. Yep. You peak too early, you start losing voters. Yep. Exactly. You know, and so my thing was always designed was like let's peak at the right time. Let's get the, yeah. the crescendo. 
should yeah. be always like seven, three to seven days before the election. Yep. Yep. The crescendo when people are like, all I see is this candidate. Yep. That's all I see. This candidate yep. is like really hitting the mark. They're they're getting the messaging out. I'm believing in what they're yep. going to do. And I have some other, you know, some other game, but you're all going to pay for that. But anyway, but like, yeah, you know, so like those things yeah. I think it's important. So yeah, three and a half weeks from now, you know, you yep. guys are, you know, you, I, the idea is for you to tr- be trending in a certain direction. Exactly. Yeah. And that's always the point, you know, like. Yeah. They call it the big mo, you know what I mean? It's the right. momentum. And, right. uh, and you know, us as candidates and and not just candidates, supporters of campaigns and people, it's our job to to make, we got to make our own magic. It's yeah. really what a lot of it's about. There's things that happen for you. Right. Um, but, you know, a lot of it has to do, you know, you making your own magic mm-hmm. and, and getting that message across. And, you know, we just started our mail and, you know, we have good, you know, folks talking about it and stuff. But I think a big piece of it is also naturally what happens and what the people are thinking about and who the people see and what message resonates with them. Dope, dope. And a lot of times it's right person, right time. It's like go it's like it's like dating, you know what I mean? Yeah, you meet right yeah. person, wrong time, yeah. wrong person, right time. Yeah. I think campaigns are about right person, right time. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's you give a, a, your final closing statement. Yeah. And you can talk about whatever you want to talk about, you know, the cotton running, yeah. your campaign, messaging, whatever. This is your time. Yeah. To kind of get get your shit off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, <clears throat> I like to boil it down to something very simple. Uh, the reason I'm running and my, my kind of theory of change, the way I think about politics, and for me, it's all about love. And I just think we don't talk about love enough in politics. And, you know, when you love somebody, you want them to have health care. Mm. You want them to have housing. You want them to have a dignified wage. You want them to live a life free of gun violence. You want them to have bodily autonomy and the rights they deserve. And when we talk about it that way, I think it really opens up our, opens up, opens us up to bring more people into the fold. Right. As an organizer, I believe this, this is the war of hearts and minds. That's it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's interesting because, you know, I do have a progressive platform, right? I'm a progressive person, but when I do a lot of these interviews, people are like, are you going to be with the squad? Are you going to be with this? Who are you going to be with? And I'm always like, I don't, you know, I don't want to put myself in a specific right. bubble like that. I mean, I'm just for the people. My, uh, my, you know, you know, my platform's a love letter to my community. It's about the needs we need and the solutions I see that we've been des- that we deserve. And whether you're progressive, moderate, Republican, you know, this is for you. This is for all of us and with all of us. And um, and that's really at the end of the day what this whole campaign is about. It's about what I believe we deserve. And when I have people saying, Max, why do we deserve health care? Well, it's by virtue of being human. Mm. That is it. And I believe we need more folks in our government who believe the same thing. You deserve these things because you're human. Regardless of your status, regardless of what job you have, regardless of anything, you you deserve this because you are. And I know a lot of people say, well, that's all fine and dandy. You're going to go to Congress and figure out you can't get anything done. And I understand things, you know, it's hard to get things passed in Congress, but I'm not going to allow my understanding of a, of a system that's messed up change who I am or what I believe in. I think that's where we get into trouble. Right. I know that there's going to be times we have to compromise where things will work in a slow way, and I understand that. And I'm always going to be honest about it. You'll see a lot of these candidates will say, <laughs> you'll see a lot of them will say, you know, we need a lower rent right now. Like, you get me to Congress, I'm going to lower rent. I'm never going to tell someone, get me to Congress and we'll have Medicare for all. Right. But what I will say is I'm going to fight tooth and nail for it. And I'm going to make sure that if we do have a compromise, it's going to be a step in the right direction. Right. That is all I can promise you. I can't promise you the outcome because I'll be one of many people. But what I can promise you is the type of congressman I'm going to be, 
the type of congressman I'm going to be in D.C. and what my fight is and who I'm fighting for. And that's it. And that's what the campaign's about. All right. Dope, man. Dope, man. I appreciate you actually um, being on me. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, uh, it's a cool to say this. Like, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Max was like, yo, man, let me get on your pod. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it. Yo, man, let me get on your pod. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I told you before. I, I called Bill Nelson's yeah. office every day. Yeah, all right. Then it's like, it's like, yo, man. That's how. That's why I've been pod. raising so much money. Yeah, too, and man. I was like, and I was like, you know, yeah, let me get him on this pod, bro. Like, yeah, I was like, yeah. let me get, not that you wore me down, but it was no, like because yeah, yeah, yeah. I always had other things going There's on. A lot, yeah, you know, what, like, you know other topics. So I, it was cool. I appreciate yeah. it. it was you know, cool. we're not always at the top of people's priority list. Not because they don't care about us. We right. all have a lot going on. Right. And me as someone who I'm kind of a forgetful guy, I always appreciate those. So I always assume other people appreciate. I did. I actually too. did. Like when you yeah. when you text me, I was like. Yeah, all right. Yeah, you know what? Let's rock yeah. with it. Let's, this is a good week. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I know rock, it yeah. takes time sometimes. Yeah, you know, it's all good. Yeah, so you know, it's all love. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate you staying on top. I appreciate you jumping on the pod, and I appreciate you making a statement on a love letter to black to yeah. culture. Because actually, every pod I always have a love letter. Yeah. to black culture. You said, I love it, your, man. Yes, your your love letter love letter is running. My love letter is actually just say, mm-hmm. you know, me wanting to hear myself talk. So, <laughs> dear black culture, we had. An enlightening discussion about the ins and outs of running for office. And honestly, I always say that that is one of the most difficult parts about being a black candidate or just a candidate of color in general um, is not having a fundamental understanding of the campaign system in place. We don't often have a roadmap of what works and what doesn't work in terms of campaigning. Is what This is what makes these discussions so important and makes the decisions of running so hard. You know, what do we do? How do we how do we campaign? How do we finance these campaigns? Who do we talk to? These things are not created like we, there's no book, right? There's no book created. And I always actually think about, you know, I'm going to create a, you know, green book, a, a political green book for black people. That's kind of mm-hmm. my idea. Um, but, you know, in the meantime, between time, it's important to have these discussions in order, you know, to have a fair understanding of what it takes. And sometimes it's the sacrifices of having to mm-hmm. sleep on a couch for a few weeks. Yeah. You know, having an Uber, having your car repossessed. Mm-hmm. These are the hardest discussions that nobody talks about. But it's also the, one of the fundamental reasons why it's so hard to get certain members in political leadership. Whether it's mm-hmm. meeting with people at a, you know, dinner and they're telling, trying to discourage you from running. Or it's simply like, I just don't have the money and the time. But what I do want you to do is do you have the passion and ideals? And we need mm-hmm. to get to a, a space in our life to where we are working away from the powers that be or society telling you, you don't have what it takes to run because you do. Because if you believe in people, if you have a purpose, if you have a passion, then you should run. And with that being said, we're going to ride out with this song. And thank you so much for listening once again. And uh, we out.
I used to never get Cause all I got was upset when niggas used to be like And try to sweat a nigga like the lip For no reason at all I can't recall if niggas rolling seeds in my face Down the hall I kicking it in the back of the school eating chicken at three Wondering why is everybody always picking on me I tried to talk and tell him Till I did nothing to deserve this But when it didn't work I wasn't scared Just real nervous and unprepared To deal with scrapping no doubt My pappy never told me how to knock a nigga out But now in 95 I was surviving a man on my own Fuck around with fat lip, yeah, shit get blown I'm not trying to show no module is shown But when it's on, when it's on, then it's on yeah, 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 yeah.